Hello and welcome to BTA Charity Voices Podcast with me, Anne Hughes. In this Series 3 of the podcast, BTA is continuing its commitment to the charity sector by building on its existing bank of knowledge. Conversations in the coming months will focus on insights around innovation and collaboration from across the sector. Fortnightly, we will bring together charity colleagues to chat about how we're showing up in our organisations today and how we're innovating and collaborating to meet our ambitions. As always, we'll endeavour to shine a light on topics that are relevant to us all. Together with our charity partners, BTA continues to strive to ensure our sector has the tools and skills necessary to thrive. Hello and welcome to BTA Charity Voices Podcast Series 2. It's our first episode. We're back in 2023 and today we are talking about team motivation. I am joined by Hazel Brown, CEO of Cornerstone and Ian McAndrew, Director of Fundraising for Chaz as we look at how we can motivate our teams at the start of a brand new year. Hazel and Ian, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hi, thanks for inviting us, Anne. Thank you, Anne. Thanks for inviting us. And we've got that hot potato, haven't we? You are both leaders within your organisations and a big team. Hazel, you have thousands in your team potentially, do you, in your organisation? Yeah, yeah, but it's not about 2,000 staff, yeah. I mean, massive. And Ian, you have a sizeable fundraising division as well, don't you? I do. I mean, we have a team of overall sort of 50, which is across fundraising, retail, and of course, our events venue, Ardock Lock Loman as well. So quite a diverse team and quite, you know, sort of like spread spread remotely about too. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there's something really big, isn't there, about how do we motivate people just now? And I think, you know, because we can call them fundraisers, we can call them whatever we want to call them, but they are people at the end of the day. And it's a difficult time, isn't it? I think getting back to work in January is always quite difficult for most of us. But let's add on everything that's happening in the world you could be forgiven for not actually feeling very motivated about stuff just now, haven't you? So how has that been? What about you, Hazel? Tell us, what has been the, the main pressure points there that you've had to consider as a leader? I mean, for us, obviously working in the, in the social care world, it, it, it's, you know, it, it's everything just now where you see about pay, about low pay, about the cost of living crisis. And it's obviously a little very kind of high profile kind of campaigns around getting more pay for nurses and getting more pay for rail workers and getting more pay for teachers. But where do the social care staff and, you know, sit within that? And they see all this on the news all the time. And, you know, a lot of the time in the past, we've worked on the, on the fact that people are very motivated by the good they do in their jobs. They don't consider they work for Cornerstone, they work mm-hmm. for the people they support. But less and less you can do that when people are actually facing a real cost of living crisis, when they can go and work in little or somewhere like that and, and earn more money when they just have to do it because of, of where we are now. So it's 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 a real challenge right across the sector. Uh-huh. And what about you, Ian? What are you seeing with your team of 50 plus? So I think very similar, you know, similar sort of, you know, pressures we're all concerned about, so the cost of living, the impact uh, that that has, you know, and I guess, you know, from, from my team's perspective, given that, you know, we are income generating for Chaz, you know, I guess their focus is always on the need to, to generate income, you know, and recognising that our supporters themselves aren't immune from those pressures in terms of, of cost of, of living. So, 
making sure that they are working to recognise that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they, they also are very conscious and aware of, you know, the need to raise funds to support the children and families uh, that Chaz, you know, supports, you know, who themselves are sort of finding it really challenging in terms of, of the cost of, of, of living. So trying to do, um, sort of strike that sort of, you know, balance uh, with, with the team to keep them sort of motivated uh, and focused on fundraising and generating income. But recognising that our supporters and our staff are facing very similar pressures. Yeah, and I think the one thing that really rings with me is we know that recruitment in all areas is difficult just now. It is particularly difficult, I think, in, well, in hospitality and in healthcare and in lots of things, but it is in charity too. And as you know, I do lots of different things. And I had done a workshop with a, a group from charitable organisations last year, about September time, there was about 50 people on the call and when I asked my wee quiz in it, and I says, who would leave their organisation because of the culture? 26% of them said they were thinking about leaving because of the culture, right? So when we think about the cost of recruitment, the cost of that downtime when somebody's getting ready to leave and that downtime when somebody's learning how to do the job I think it's how we all need to start looking at how can we really motivate our teams so even though times are tough and they're tough for everybody and we're doing what we can I think if you have a good working culture and you enjoy being at your job the chances of you staying are probably much higher aren't they so have you had a contemplation there for what about you, Hazel, when it comes to how you make your staff feel more valued? And I've got, I, I was Simon Sinek, somebody I love reading and, and, and listening to, and he talks about the value of motivating our teams are that people love their jobs, people would be more productive, they would just be happier, and actually organisations would grow and in our business, the world would just be a better place. Society would be better if our organisations are doing well. So, Hazel, what are your contemplations and how? where are your staff, do you think? We work very hard on the culture issues because uh, somebody else, not Simon Stanek, but somebody else said culture each strategy breaks. It. So it <laughs> is really about how you treat your staff and how you value them, which is more than the early reach, although that is something that's really important and very important just now. So we try to instill a culture, you know, with, that we, we view ourselves very much as, a, as a, an upside down organisation. So, you know, from the executive leadership team to everybody, we're here to support the frontline staff and, and how they deliver. And I think to try and keep them motivated it's you know to have a real kind of problem solving culture you know we're all in this together so what can we all do individually whether it's a small thing or a big thing to try and make things better and a level of authenticity and honesty um about the situation we're in i think if people feel that you acknowledge and you understand the challenges and you're there with them trying to fix it i think that really helps motivate them if they think that you're some distant director who's never involved and doesn't understand the challenges that that you know that really doesn't help so it's and i think going back to remind people about why they're doing the jobs they're doing the, the why how important it is is really uh you know that's why people come in to work in, in social care to work in the third sector to work in charitable sectors because they can go home with a real sense of, of, of satisfaction that they're actually making a difference so yeah. to go back and remind people of, of that you know of, of why they're here whether they're our frontline staff or whether they're you know business support staff you know ultimately we're all here so that we can provide help people live their best lives that they can. So we work really hard on that. And obviously it's a big organisation, so it doesn't always work everywhere. But you set the culture, you know, at, at the leadership level and then you hope that 
uh, that that kind of then cascades throughout the organisation. Yeah, and I think it is like what you're saying there, that people get so focused on what they do that they can sometimes get quite distant from why they do it, can't they? Mm-hmm. And as, yep. as organisations grow, they could actually become more removed from their why, couldn't they? How do you think you reflect on that, Ian? So I think the why is really, really important. And been able to sort of create the space and the time for your team to to take a step back and make sure that they can sort of see that, mm-hmm. you know, and demonstrate sort of the difference that they are making day in, day out in terms of sort of the outcome of what my team do mm-hmm. ultimately means that we can deliver sort of care and support sort of children and families across Scotland. So we always try and make sure that, uh, you know, we, we communicate that back to our team. We demonstrate the impact. We're really fortunate as an organisation. Members of my team are in, in the hospices that are able to talk to and meet with families and hear, hear firsthand and directly the impact of, of, of the services. And I guess, you know, the, the other sort of really role that I need to play in, you know, my sort of fundraising and comms and management team need to, to play is, is making sure that, you know, we are doing what we can do to support our team members to do the best jobs that they possibly can. So trying to remove those barriers, remove those blockers, you know, enable opportunities. Uh, and we've spent certainly a lot of time in the last sort of couple of years um, in terms of you know, the pandemic encouraging sort of greater agility and working, um, fostering much more autonomy in the teams, trying to place decision-making sort of really at, at the front line so that people really feel that they are enabled to the job, um, can take a sense of empowerment to do that sort of role in a way. And, you know, I think that when people sort of feel they are enabled to do the job and empowered to do it. I think the motivation comes along, you know, with with that. Um, so that's again what we try and focus on mm-hmm. yeah, as a leadership team within so Chaz, and that's right across Chaz is you know enabling people and empowering them to do the best jobs that they possibly can and supporting them uh, to to ensure that they they can actually do that. Yeah, and I think is there something that almost comes through there for me about how in the third sector, we've maybe got an age on other sectors because there is that bigger part. You know, when I think of my whole 25-year career being in this sector, I think, how lucky am I? Because I've always been contributing to something that was so much bigger than than me or my life and that I get a real sense of satisfaction from that, therefore. I mean, as you said, Hazel, we can't just depend on that. People still need to have, you know, good working conditions and all good pay yeah. and all the rest of it. But do you think that as a sector we have maybe got a cutting edge on that? I would say yes. I mean, people come with a particular passion, and like I said at the beginning, you know, for the for the for many of our colleagues, if you ask who they work for, they won't say Cornerstone. They'll say I work for Agnes or or whoever uh-huh. it is that they're they're supporting, and and that does help. That does mean that people can get not that we do it, but can get a bit exploited. I mean, partly that's maybe why social care is so poorly funded yeah. now, because people are genuinely so committed and so passionate about what they do. But in many ways, that's a real that's a real advantage uh, for people. So, yeah, I think that does help. But ultimately, we are in a position now where we're seeing even those committed people saying, 
but I have bills to pay and I, you know, so I am going to go work for the local authority or or whoever it is because, uh, you know, we, we also see people coming back because of what you said right at the beginning because of the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is such a challenge. And, you know, for us as leaders and and, and for you as well, Ian, isn't it? That, that trying to remain that, that positive without being happy, clappy and, and over positive, recognising the challenges, but keeping positive for the sake of your colleagues to keep people motivated, is uh, it would be quite draining as, as a leader to try and keep that positive head on, I think. Yeah. It, it can be, and I think you've always got to be authentic, you know, with, within that, as you say, recognise the challenges that are being being faced, you know, be open, you know, and transparent about what you are trying to do. Uh, as an organisation to ad- address, you know, that, you know, we'd we'd all love to make significant pay awards to address the cost of living. But, you know, the reality is that for many organisations, we, ne- we may not be able to afford to do that at the scale that we'd like. And many organisations won't be able to afford to do that, you know, at all. And I think it's always really important that as a leader, that you are honest and transparent mm-hmm. and with with your team so that they they sort of understand you know the, the context what you're trying to do and you know continue to communicate 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 with with your teams to ensure that they feel that you are listening to them uh, but also you're sort of playing back sort of what you've had and what you can and can't do yeah. to address the particular challenges that you face and you know and some of that has to be you know at this point we don't have the answers you know we continue to work through it uh, but you know we really want to engage you in sort of helping us solve the problems and the challenges uh, that we might be encountering yeah so i mean if we Reflect on those who could be listening to this podcast, leading teams or organisations of a variety of sizes, I'm sure. Once we hopefully have got pay out the road, either we can't afford it or because we don't have the contracts, for example. I know that a lot of organisations like yours, Hazel, if the government don't increase the contract, for example, or the local authority don't increase the contract, then there is nothing therefore to give, isn't there? Not extra. But once we have somehow worked on money, what are some of the top things that you think you could advise other people to be thinking about? If not the actual answer, just like think about this, because that, buys goodwill from your people have you any reflections on that i mean i would say again going back to what you said it's about the culture that's why people stay so you really need to think about what kind of culture do you want to create and have around you in your organization and if it is it a warm and supportive culture which still holds people to account but actually allows people a lot of what ian was talking about which empowers them which recognizes them as as the professionals that they are is it coaching and mentoring that that's the most important thing people leave jobs because the majority of people leave jobs because they're unhappy with their line manager usually because of the way they're being treated so if you have something where you really value people and you make sure that that's embedded across the organization that's the most important thing for keeping keeping your people motivated and the only way you can know that you're doing that is by going out and talking to your colleagues and to your staff and getting reflections back is that working and listen to what you're being told um because if you 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 know you can all sit in our offices and have this lovely strategy around culture unless you go out and sense check it and listen to people and hear what they're saying you don't know if it's there but that's the most important thing that's the thing that would keep me in an organization or make me go yeah for me that's the most important thing totally totally agree with with that i think what goes into your, your pay packet at the end of, of the month is only sort of one aspect of your 
employee experience. And I think that cultural piece, as you say, Hazel, is so, so important. How people feel valued, recognised, you know, and rewarded. And rewarded doesn't always necessarily mean sort of financially. It can be learning and development, you know, opportunities. It can be, you know, recognised for some pieces of, of, of work. So, sort of, you know, done, you know, flexibility and agility of where people work and, and how they work. All those things need to come into play now um, to provide people with the work-life balance and experience that people now want to to see and that cultural piece is key I think to employees really feeling valued and therefore motivated. Uh Talking about values there and you think so many teams because I work across lots of different organisations all the time for some organisation values is something that somebody wrote one time and left in a drawer and values is something that's painted on a wall but nobody knows what they say anymore because I've seen it so many times do you feel that living by your values that you as as leaders are connected to your values but also that your team that your people are connected to those values too? Well, from a very practical point of view, one of the things we try to do is embed all those values through all our, our policies and practice as well. So it is a live thing. It's a living thing and hold people accountable to, to those values. So not just something that's written down a few years ago and then plonked in a drawer, you know, actually saying to people, you know, holding them to account if they're not living to them. So it's it's embedded in your HR policies and, and, and how people work. And of course, you don't always get it right. You know, we've got we've got thousands of staff and it doesn't always work the way we want it to. But, you know, I, I try, try and give an example of, I, I was in a meeting this morning when one of our colleagues said they'd had a very difficult Christmas and, and New Year and, and, and lost some people, uh, you know, some, unfortunately there'd been some deaths in the area and, and it had a real impact on the people we support and the staff as well and and in that meeting all the colleagues who were in that meeting were all offering different kinds of support can I help with this do you want me to come in and do this you know and, and I rang the member staff myself after the meeting saying how are you what support do you need and, and, and I'm not just doing that to pull my own trumpet that's because that's what everybody else in the organisation does as well and I'd like to think that's the difference between us and if you're maybe working in a private sector or if you're working you know for for in the statutory sector so yeah genuinely making it real uh, that you care about people and that you know if they need support you, you make sure you're there for them yeah we've always taken this of the view at Chaz that sort of value should be sort of lived you know as you say and not laminated with mm. you know trying to you know, I think done a really good job of embedding those and tying them into sort of you know the essence of, of why so Chaz um, you know exists and they sort of form part of people's you know induction they no, form no, part no, of the no. way that how we recognize and sort of thank people for their sort of you know your contribution so it's and they're integral to our planning and you know the way that I and my SLT colleagues think about the work that we need to do. We're always looking at through this the lens of are we living the values of of the organisation and does the work that we do in the way that we're approaching particular decisions or pieces of work does that align to to the values? So you've got to sort of keep it constant and ultimately hold yourself to to account for them. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, to take you back to something you both agreed on there, it was that you check. And with your people, you actually do, Hazel, you know, I need to sense check, is this going well? Are our people feeling valued? Are they happy? And I'm thinking of those listening, there won't, 
be very many people that could listen to this that will have bigger organisations certainly than you've got, Hazel. Many won't even be as big as Ian, your team of 50. So how do you suggest people can do that sense check thing? It sounds easy, doesn't it? But in practice, Hazel, what does that look like when you have an organisation of 2,000 people? Well, the traditional way of looking at it is is when people leave, isn't it? It's do the exit interviews and why are they leaving? And that, that can give you really valuable data. But actually... Well, one of the things you also want to be doing is asking why people are staying, particularly mm-hmm. when you're going through really challenging times. What is it that keeps you here? And, and learn from that and say, if that's keeping these people here in this area and it's not being demonstrated in another area, what can we do? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so don't listen to it after the fact, after after people have gone. But actually, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now, but I, I would also say that the one good thing about uh, COVID is actually having a much more accessible and two-way communication now with lots of people through Teams meetings and be more available. So there is that thing about just being out there and listening, and it's easier to do that now. Obviously, we're a national organisation. I couldn't get around everybody, but I can be more involved now because I can do it via Teams call um, as well. But, yeah, don't just rely on your exit interviews because they're the ones that are unhappy. Look at the people that are happy, and what is it? What is it that's keeping them here? It's really important data. Uh And what about you, Ian? What are your insights there on how you can find out how all the people in your team are doing? It's the usual or more traditional sort of methods such as sort of staff surveys and pulse surveys and we do all that sort of you know work but importantly it's about sitting down with with teams and team members it's about listening to what challenges they have what i can do to to support that what the organization can do to support that but it is about sort of getting out it's about talking to your team it's about listening you know to the team uh, but it's also as well about being able to respond to that and say how how you're addressing sort of those those particular sort of issues and you know i think the, the pandemic it opened as hazel said sort of the world up to teams and zooms allowed us just much more but at the same time it also sort of disconnected you know as 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 well so we've been putting quite a lot of effort in over the the last sort of you know year or so to, to bring people back together now not in a sense of please all come back and, and work in the office. It's much more around let's come together around a particular challenge, a particular problem, some, some work that we need to, to have have done and start to just sort of foster that sort of collective ownership of different sort of, you know, challenges. Uh, and within that, you can sort of, you know, listen to and be part of the conversation and, you know, understand sort of how your teams sort of take what other things that are, grinding their gears you know you know the most and you know often that is sometimes can be a process issue internally which well meant in its implementation but at the same time it's it's over complicating someone's life so how do you sort of listen to those things and be able to then reflect back to the organization and go right if we did this in a different way we could actually make an employee's life much much easier yeah. um, you know and lead to a better a better employee experience mm-hmm. definitely definitely and so before we finish up if i may can i ask you ian what keeps you at Chaz? what keeps me at Chaz? when i've been at Chaz now for six years mm-hmm. No two days have ever been the same. I'm fortunate enough to work with some brilliant people. Mm-hmm. We're also able to see directly the impact, you know, of the services that that, that we run and the families that Chaz supports. So 
been able to see that quite directly and work in an organisation that is so focused on achieving sort of that, that purpose, but at the same time an organisation that creates the space for you to challenge yourself and bring your team sort of, you know, on that. It, that's what motivates me to, to stay. No two days, you know, are the same. There's always a challenge, an uh, opportunity. Uh, let's just say you get to work with some some great people that really challenge, challenge you to do the best you can every day. Great. And what about you, Hazel? What keeps you at Cornerstone? Yeah, probably reflecting a lot of what Ian said there. I mean, this is my, uh, I'll beat you, Ian. I'm on I'm my 15th year. This is my 15th <laughs> year here at Cornerstone. Wow. Uh, and I, I've I work with a lot of people who've been at Cornerstone 15, 20, 25 years. There's something about it that gets under your skin. I I, I, I love my job, not all the time, but overall, <laughs> there's times when it's been really challenging. And it's the people that I work with, actually. They're just a, such a fantastic bunch of really committed people, you know, and, and when people move on, it's it's like, it's always a bit like a separation or a divorce. It's, it's, it's very sad that people do because, you know, they've got careers and things to go on to. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just love it. And again, like Ian says, whether it's sector specific, but it's always different. There's always something new happening and always different challenges coming up. Yeah, but it's just like, it's like, it's, it sounds cheesy, a bit X factor. It's like an extension of my family. It genuinely, genuinely is. I love it. Great, thank you both so much for joining me on the podcast and I wish you both a very successful 2023. Thank you very much. Thank you too. Thank you, Anne. Thank you for joining us on BTA Charity Voices podcast. If you would like to know more about the work of BTA or indeed access more of our knowledge and expertise, you can find all the info you need at our website, www.brucetateassociates.net. Here you can also sign up for our newsletter, vacancy alerts and webinars for professionals within the charity sector.